Hello authors, I'm Joanne Morell, children's and young adult fiction writer and author of short non-fiction for authors. Thanks for joining me for the Hybrid Author Podcast, sharing interviews from industry professionals to help you forge a career as a hybrid author, both independently and traditionally publishing your books. You can get the show notes for each episode and sign up for your free author pass over at the Hybrid Author website to discover your writing process, get tips on how to publish productively, and get comfortable promoting your books at www.hybridauthor.com.au. Let's crack on with the episode. Hello authors and welcome to March. I hope you're all well and being productive by writing up a storm or publishing your books or simply getting better at the craft of writing. So this week's episode number 20, we made it to 20, is with the fabulous publishing team from Bad Apple Press, Samantha Miles and Sonia Danaher. So they talk about how they came to set up Bad Apple Press, which is a publisher of stunning Australian memoir stories from everyday people. They are a small publisher and uh, such a fabulous team. It's such a great interview. They're determined to give us as readers great stories that entertain, inspire, educate and always surprise. They believe that the creators, us, the wonderful authors should benefit as much as possible from their stories and so they offer a higher than industry standard royalty system. They believe in Australian publishing and by offering authors the opportunity to be rewarded financially for their creative work they hope to promote its longevity, diversity and sustainability. So coming up in the interview they talk about what online events publishers attend, what to miss, what's what's coming up in publishing in 2022, what kind of books that they have put out and what they look for in submissions and just how they came to be in publishing. So in my author adventure update this week, if you listened to the last episode, episode 19, you would have heard my business goal of sorting both my short non-fiction books, freelance writing, quick tips for fast success, and author fears, how to overcome them, uh, into ebook, print, and audiobook formats. And uh, this goal has got to be achieved by the 31st of March, and we're now into March. But in between the day job, being a mum and a wife, and so far I haven't been able to make a start on that goal. And it's not that it's, I, I haven't just bothered to do it. There's just been a lot of other things that have come up that have stopped me from being able to do this. So anyways, I know it will get done. It has to because I'm accountable to my business consultant, Kate. Most likely it will get done in true Joanne fashion, which is always last minute. So however, I have been productive conducting lots of podcast interviews for you with uh industry professionals, some organisations and authors and uh, I can't wait to share because it's been incredible. Let's crack on with the episode. Samantha Miles is the founder and publishing manager at Bad Apple Press. Samantha has worked in publishing as both an in-house editor and production manager as well as a freelance editor for over 20 years. She has worked at Hodder Headline and Horwitz Martin. Both companies have been taken over and renamed, although probably nothing to do with her, as well as McGraw-Hill and Finch Publishing, where she was publishing manager for 11 years. 
Samantha lives in semi-rural Sydney and owns three horses. She competes in the insanely expensive and competitive sport of dressage, which means she's permanently poor and covered in bits of hay, among other things. Her favorite thing in life is explaining to her husband why she needs to order more hay. And one of her favorite things is to read a good book. Sonia Danaher is the founder and marketing sales representative at Bad Apple Press. Sonia has worked across many industries in her role as a multimedia designer and developer. After living some years in Amsterdam, where she worked for Logica Consulting as their pan-European graphics manager, she returned home for the sake of her liver with a love of chocolate sprinkles on bread, Hegelsleg, and realization of how far Australian businesses needed to catch up in the digital sphere. Along with another returned expat, she began her own multimedia company, which operated successfully for 12 years. Sonia hates having her photo taken because for some reason, the result is always a surprise. She has had two children in what doctors like to call the geriatric years, and she only regrets one of them. Only joking kids, just keep guessing which one. Her favorite thing to do is wake up early when no one is around and sit on the veranda with a coffee and a good book. Wow, fantastic and hilarious bio, ladies. Welcome to the Hybrid Author Podcast. Thanks for having us. (laughs) You're welcome. So can you tell us a bit about how you came to be friends and in the publishing world and set up Bad Apple Press together? Uh, Yes, I I can give you my perspective and then Sonia might be giving you a slightly different one. Essentially, we met firstly in year seven at um, our local high school. Both of us were a little bit shell-shocked. Sonia had uh, come from a very different environment and I was never meant to go to that high school. (laughs) I only found out a few days before. Anyway, nevertheless, we found each other and we continued to be friends. Then I went off and um, got into editing and Sonia went off and got into her design work and her fine arts degree. And then many years later, Sonia moved, she had moved all over the world and she came back and to Sydney because of her husband's work and she got in touch and said, do you have any work? And I said, oh, well, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, it it turned out we did have work and Sonia (laughs) came on board as a graphic designer. Had you kept Uh, in touch that whole time when Sonia was travelling? Did you? On on and off, probably more off. (laughs) 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 And then, yeah, so she worked with me. For the last, was it four years? Then you had three years at Finch. Uh, four years in the end, yeah. And the, end. the last year and a half or maybe even four and a half years, the last year back here in Perth. So Sonia worked with me at Finch and then um, our director at Finch Publishing decided to retire and both Sonia and I thought some of the books that were on the list still deserve to be out and about and we also thought possibly quite naively how hard could this be <laughs> to set up our own publishing company. It didn't really matter but we ju- it just added a slight level of complexity but it actually hasn't really mattered at all. Sonia, her husband got sent back to Perth or asked to go back to Perth Sonia's in Perth and I'm now in Sydney. And so we were well ahead of the remote working fad way before it actually happened. And so when people were scrambling around saying, well, how does Zoom work? We were like, oh, well, that's just how we work normally. So yeah. it, really, it really didn't impact us uh, from that point of view. 
So that's that's my perspective of how it happened. <laughs> Sonia <laughs> might have slight, some slightly different opinion. No, no, that's pretty much it. Yeah, we <laughs> met in high school and, and, yeah, when I came back to Sydney, I had a six-month-old baby and I was about to lose my mind and uh, <laughs> I thought, well, I wonder, and I never normally do this, I thought, oh, I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. You know, I'm just going to text people I know and see if there's something they think I can help with. I was willing to volunteer at that stage, like for nothing. <laughs> Just yeah. to leave the house and uh, and then I met uh, Rhett who um, was a great character and we got on really well and yeah and I ended up working in the office with Rex and um, Sam worked remotely so and as yeah. Manny says sorry I call Sam Manny I've always known Sam as Manny from right. high school so if I drift into that that's who I'm talking <laughs> about <laughs> yeah so we can thank Miss uh, Miss Jones our English teacher for our trajectory forward <laughs> if you're yeah. listening Yes, we had her. We had her quite unusually. We had her for every year that we were in high school for English, um, which I I don't think is is normal. Um, But yeah, and and it was her first posting too. So we all grew up together, I think. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. And so Bad Apple Press, love the name and I love the logo. Who, Who came up with that? Or was it like a joint thing or? The, the logo was pretty much a joint thing. The name I'd always had kicking around in the back of my head for no reason that I can actually tell you. <laughs> just was there. Yeah, yeah no, so we, and we, we officially launched, I suppose, in July 2019. And we, we had, a, as, as um, Sam says, we had a virtual launch before virtual launches were even a thing. We had yeah. a national launch with all of our authors all around Australia and uh, and it was great, but then straight into COVID. <laughs> yeah. And uh, can you tell us about the kind of books that you guys put out? I guess I come from a trade publishing background generally, which means all books that you see in bookshops. Um, I did work on educational books for a little while and some medical books, which was kind of gruesomely interesting. Basically, most of my publishing experience has been with trade. Uh, we're at Finch Publishing. Um, part of that range was we introduced memoir and memoir honestly memoir was the closest thing I got to a narrative when I was working at Finch Publishing so I really really pushed for it and then we got some really interesting sales with memoir and some really interesting stories and so we just decided more or less to really concentrate heavily on memoir there's not a lot of publishing houses that cater for it other than the big celebrity memoirs or the sporting star memoirs or the political memoirs there's no real publishing house that really specializes in um I wouldn't say ordinary memoir but it's it's from um, from from people who may not be so publicly well known but they still have a very interesting and engrossing story. So we do a little bit of psychology as well because we have a, an author, Andrew Fuller, who's one of Australia's leading adolescent psychologists. He's such a great character that he came on board with us and so we do publish him as well. But essentially it's it's any story that grabs our attention and that we personally would like to read ourselves. So that that's the sort of book that we that we look for and, and do publish. Yeah, fantastic. That's great. So as publishers... How how do you keep up to date with what's happening in the industry? Like I, I, as an author, I'm overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's out there, and I can't imagine, you know, how how you guys stay on top of that. And uh, and how how does that help you to determine book trends for the year? Is that something that publishers do? They kind of predict what's coming ahead, or you guys are already sounds like you're already ahead of the game <laughs> in the digital sphere. But yeah, well, I guess if 
Um, we don't really particular <laughs> trends for our list, although as Manny will probably tell you, trends do come through in manuscript submissions. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's obviously we're fully aware of what is going on around us in terms of politically, you know, socially, and that always influences what comes out in general, more so for us, as Sam said, it's a good story. It has to be well-written. And I think that's what always shines through. And authors should never forget that. Not Don't write on trend just for the sake of on trend. You know, it's almost impossible to predict two years ahead and you never know if you're even going to be published in that year when you thought it was on trend. So, yeah, Sam probably has a bit more on that one. Well, there, I mean... You can stay up to date to a certain point. We have access to industry newsletters, so we get to see what other publishing houses are publishing up to six months ahead. There's always a big roundup at the end of every year about publishers talking about what's coming out next year, so you get a bit of an idea. And then there's also the big days. You know, I guess the closest thing we come to trends are the big selling days in book selling. Not so much now, but I guess they they really used to be Mother's Day, Father's Day, coming up to Christmas. And this campaign, which is sort of petering out New Year, New You. So in February, January, you know, you get a lot of um, get fit, lose weight books. Mother's Day, you get a lot of books that people seem to think mothers would like. And that generally includes cooking books, gardening books, hockey books, sub story books. (laughs) Father's Day is all about travel, adventure, sporting stars. Yep. your football memoir that kind of thing and Christmas is just go for it that's when publishers bring out their mega star books you know the ones they really expect to sell well uh, you know an exception to that would be any of Harry Potter that just came out anytime and sold well anytime but say you had a big book for Christmas a recent example is the Lisa Wilkinson memoir that was a perfect Christmas book and the reason why is books are actually a popular gift at Christmas yeah and so she's a well-known figure she has an interesting story you know she's she's got a strongly opinionated on some certain topics and so that was a perfect Christmas book you could have bought that out at Mother's Day also so I guess that's the closest relate to for trends I mean we may have a book yeah Ironically, um, for us as small publishing, we we have to buck that trend in a way. Yes, because yes, we, um, we, we don't do a Christmas book. We can't compete with the influx of overseas books and large publishing houses books that are flooded, literally flooded. I think there was something like 360 new titles for the Christmas release wow. last yep. year, yep. and we couldn't possibly compete with that. So we buck the trends in a way it's why we can because we're small and agile I guess our little marketing (laughs) tip for the you know for our list is don't compete against Lisa Wilkins with someone who doesn't know (laughs) with go blog yeah so it's it's interesting for us so we stay away from Christmas and definitely Mother's Day and, and and sometimes Father's Day we can we've got a few books that would go well with Father's Day it's not as big as Mother's Day so you possibly stand your own ground there but we really go for the months that don't have any particular yep. <laughs> um, holiday attached to them maybe so the months it's after those holidays and and those people have got gift cards for books and they can, <laughs> they can come yes. and find you guys yeah oh, yes and, and interestingly um february is uh is a month where booksellers seem to be screaming out for anything other than something to do with fitness and health yeah. and whatever so uh, they've all had all that big lead up to christmas everyone's collapsed over january you go back to work in february and they're, they're screaming out for stuff so as sonia said that's the trend that's yeah. the system that booksellers follow we don't follow that system for all the reasons that we've 
we've outlined. But I do say, I do, and as Sonia said, many scripts, when they come in as submissions, we accept submissions from anywhere, whether they be, you know, just uh, random people or agents or whatever, for some bizarre reason come in themes. So, you know, well, I've had manuscript after manuscript after manuscript all talking about boats and <laughs> holidays around Australia. And then I've had misery memoirs, you know, like sexual abuse and and, uh, abuse by priests and things like that, which is, you know, very sad. And it's actually quite hard to read manuscript after manuscript on those sorts of topics. And then, of course, if you publish a book on something, suddenly you get a lot of influx of submissions on that particular same topic as well. Yeah. So that's the that's the sort of patterns that come through with manuscript submissions. Would you take, because I've heard before, so say you took a, a submission from that pile of like a sexual abuse story or something, and then you get so many submissions in that. Is that your kind of door closed on that story because you've already put, you've already got one in the pipes that you're putting out or you, you do publish a few more in that? It would depend on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. So our main criteria is that the story is well-written and, and holds up by itself. You know, it stands alone. If it was a good story and added to what we have already published, yes, we would definitely consider it. If that original book or the original topic sold extremely well, yes, we would consider it. We don't tend to take on any more psychology books, largely because we have Andrew Fuller who covers all the sorts of topics and we don't really want to compete with him, like we would be competing with ourselves. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say that we wouldn't publish something that would be complementary to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We wouldn't actively hit two books together, say, on mothering in the same year because, yeah. A, the marketing just doesn't work for us to, to fight one off the other and um, we normally have to pitch to booksellers or our distributors pitch to booksellers with a unique perspective on that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so for the most part, it, not to say that we wouldn't have you know, publish another book written about yeah. a mother-daughter relationship, for example, but it would probably not be in the same year. Yeah, yeah, or it has to be complementary. If it was complementary to each other, would you sell? Would you pitch them together? Not necessarily. That's a good question. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I think it, again, it would not happen. Manuscript. <laughs> Sonia probably would say no straight away. Right. <laughs> that is correct yeah Yeah. because even still I suppose if you're putting them out together they in some regards they are still competing against each other for sales and things you know so yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's more um it's more bookshelf space Mm -hmm. to be honest Mm. but if if we're trying to get them into bookshelf to booksellers they they won't let they normally won't have two the same in a new thing from the same publisher sitting side by side in the same month (laughs) yeah yeah generally one or the other Mm. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. So you've you've touched on uh, how you keep up to date in the industry. Just wondering if there is must attend events, book events for publishers online or even in person, if it's permitted with COVID these days that is on your calendar that you definitely don't want to miss out on. Hmm. <laughs> okay. And then, sorry, the reason why I, I laugh <laughs> at that is that Yeah, I guess there are. Whether or not they're as vital as they used to be, I don't know, because I guess the the independent bookseller conference is is always something to take note of. But quite honestly, we're so small, whether we would attend or not would hardly make any difference to to that. And and quite frankly, we have tended to not be invited to those things. (laughs) 
we don't go. I have to say that when coming through publishing, my boss would always go to Frankfurt, the Frankfurt Book Fair. Every year he'd go to Frankfurt and every year he'd have to come back and spend three weeks in the chiropractor's chair because of the um, the amount of standing he did and the long flights and everything. But Frankfurt Book Fair was a big deal for terms of selling your books to overseas agents. And so I've never been myself personally, and I know there's a Bologna Children's Fair, but a lot of these things, everything's sort of changed so much since all the COVID restrictions have come in. And I don't know if it's as crucial now to go in person because people realise they can make connections and do deals and things remotely. So I'm not sure to answer your question on that. I don't know. Sonia, do you have any thoughts? We have someone who works with us to present our books to overseas uh, rights, etc. Mainly because we're too small. We if we we couldn't actually spare the time to go. Yeah, we could fly to Frankfurt. But yeah, I think that's sort of the big one that's always been prevalent for publishers. The independent booksellers as well. We're always trying to get into. Yeah. But I think you're about right, man. It, it, it really, it's, it's hard to know. And now we do a lot of virtual things online mm. where, you know, we get people or we pride ourselves on being small. I mean, that's our point. And so for that, we like to bring our readers directly to to us, not necessarily through a bookseller in terms of creating a relationship. So we're willing to, you know, put our authors out there. We have virtual stuff all the time where authors are talking to people. Andrew Fuller does webinars all the time, which are fantastic and get an amazing response. Yeah. So I think the world is changing. So we just sort of changing with it, I guess, or making it work for us Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. No, I love that. That's, that's great. So how many books is it you publish a year and in each category, is it the same each year or are you starting to put out more? more more often or is it how many how many from your roughly from is it existing authors on your list or how many do you normally yeah, take uh, take as new submissions <laughs> oh no no um okay so I can answer that question those two questions in in um in the one answer okay <laughs> so we have we have between six to seven mm-hmm. books a year seems yep. very small but I can tell you that with only two people <laughs> working on it it's it's Full on because we handle everything ourselves and those books will consist of possibly maybe two existing authors, authors we've published before, and the rest will be new authors. Yeah, okay, fantastic. So with the two of you, obviously, Samantha, you if you, you're the editor, you do production, you have yeah, I can yeah, handle all, you the, do all that. the editorial and production and Sonia handles all the marketing yep. um, promotion and accounts. Very important yeah. department. Yeah. With your multimedia design, Sonia, do you have anything to do with the the covers of the books and things like that? Um, some I do. Um, some we outsource and some we insource. So it really just depends. Um, we have some great cover designers, but yeah, I have done covers for us before. Yeah. So it just really depends on time. It's more of a time factor, or like anything else in the arts, there are certain people that suit certain styles, and so. For some covers, we just think, yeah, she would be perfect or they would be perfect to design that. Yeah, so all of those, I just take care of the, you know, the boring back end stuff and then <laughs> and, uh, and all not, of the it's, boring. it's it's incredibly vital to the ongoing yeah. business flow but it, yeah funnily enough Sonia uh takes on seems to take on 
the really hard colors <laughs> the, the colors that are really difficult that the other designers just don't seem to understand what to do with and unfortunately Sonia gets all the hard ones <laughs> That's like a challenge <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. so yeah. so with these six or seven books that you put out a year what does your publishing schedule look like do you mm-hmm. obviously depending on what they're about and you know you're slipping them in between the holidays and how, how do you guys do you sit down at the end of the year or the start of the year and, and work out a publishing schedule in a year or how does it yes so basically follow a system that I've always had which is essentially you, you plot it out the end of the year or you actually you start sort of around August, <laughs> August <laughs> preceding year, if not, if not sooner. We get, we get full very quickly, actually, because we, we only publish six and so we, we try to publish one every two months. Sometimes we can't do that for timing reasons. It suits us to, and it suits the author, benefits the author to do one every two months because it gives you enough time to develop a really good publishing plan, uh, promotional plan and do marketing as well. It's very hard. And when I, when we were working in a slightly bigger team, we had books coming out. You know, we'd, we'd do 11, 12 books a year, sometimes 13. That churn factor is very hard for both the author and the staff. You really only get three or four weeks to work on an author and then you've got to go on to the next one. And so you don't really develop the time. You don't have time to go back and reassess or, or maybe try again if something hadn't worked in the first time. So that's one of the reasons we like to actually, it's one of the benefits of being smaller and not having as many books is that you can devote a bit more time to, to thinking about the promotion and working harder to get the books out there. We also don't want to have our books. We don't want to publish books that are going to sit on the shelf for three weeks and then the booksellers move them back and then within three months they return them. We yeah. like to think that the books that we publish have a much longer life than that and therefore it's up to us to make sure that the booksellers understand that that life is longer than the traditional three months or three weeks on the shelf. So that's why we don't publish as many books. Also, physically, there are only two of us. There are only so many hours <laughs> a day that you can actually do it. And, and book publishing is very labour and time intensive. Yeah, I mean, we have titles um, from 2019 or before that we still promote so we, we don't believe in the three-month, you're out scenario. Mm-hmm. We develop long-term relationships with authors. Um, we're always looking at ways to promote your book. Uh, if we think there's something that we can get you in on or that you're appropriate for or, you know, we do everything from poster drops around all the capital cities <laughs> to, you know, you name it, we'll try it as a way of getting your book into people's faces basically. Yeah, essentially, yeah. And so to, and to answer your original question, yeah, do try to start, we, we plot it out starting from August. Quite often you only might have the first half of the year or field, if that's a word. <laughs> and, um, and then the, the rest sort of comes. And there are periods where you just think, oh, my God, I'm not going to fill this calendar. I'm just, I'm, we're just not going to have any books. And then all of a sudden there's one that comes in. Okay. And we, we have had some that we could slot in. But, again, this is a problem that we have to make sure we, ha- we can't just slot one in and say, we're going to publish this in two months. While physically, you could actually do that. You could actually get the book edited and the cover designed and, and almost printed in within that two months. Our sales team, our, our distributor, they work four months ahead. And so if you miss that four-month schedule, 
it's very hard for them to go back to booksellers and say, oh, by the way, there's this one. So we have to keep that in mind. So sometimes if we get a book in August, but the August selling is has, has already happened, we will have to say, sorry, your book cannot be published this year. It has to go to next year. Otherwise, it's going to miss out on that sales cycle. And unfortunately, sales cycles are really, really important in book selling. It's incredibly boring and I hate them, but they're part of how yeah. the book gets out there. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which Fantastic. is why we have to establish the list, you know, normally by June, August, the year before. Mm. Otherwise, we've missed the boat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And so what kind of books can we expect from Bad Apple in uh, 2022 this year? Are yes, you I know. To disclose, it's or? <laughs> is it a secret? Yeah, no, we're excited. <laughs> actually, we do have some really good, I shouldn't say actually. We do yeah, have I was going to say, books. we always have some really good books. We, we do actually <laughs> always, we, we always think, the, this list is really good and then we get a list for next year and we think wow this is actually even better um <laughs> we have we have a mixture this year we've got a few books that didn't do didn't get the exposure they needed to get because of COVID last year so we put them back on the list for this year but we've got three brand new or four brand new books um one from an existing author and three from from new authors so we're really happy they're all they're memoirs they're uh one about oh, motherhood and child protection oh, uh, there's one about a musical theater actress who tried to make it in new york new york and uh, married a chef came back to sydney and opened a a one-hatted restaurant and had some kids and then had to go and live in Fiji and at the, <laughs> her life is insane and very funny and we have another author Georgie Brooks who wrote uh, A Year in the Mud and the Tears and the Toast oh wow the toast the tea, I think. yes her, about her move to the country and um, how how confident she and her husband were about um, being country farmers and then that went so well <laughs> she had to take on a job as a secondary high school teacher and then her her second book is is called semi-educated and that's about her life as um as a teacher which she writes in a very dry humorous kind of gentle funny way have I missed anything you've missed Anne's which is oh Anne of course I, why don't you talk about all, Anne? That, all that I forgot which is an extraordinary story about a woman who wakes up after being hospitalized and has no memory has amnesia wow. and the last four years yeah it's, this is and, memoir and last yeah, and wow. the last two, the last two years never come back to her. And what she discovers is that what people have been telling her isn't actually necessarily the case. People have been it's trying that- to help her regain her memory. And then suddenly she realises that maybe they've got their own Yeah, there's a lot of ulterior motives in this book and it's quite, uh, I I really enjoyed it. I woke up every morning to finish the manuscript because I just wanted to say what happened. (laughs) This is a case of truth is stranger than fiction because I do not think you could believe this if, you know, if it was pitched as a a a movie. So uh, yeah, it's a it's it should be really interesting to see that. And that one's called All I Forgot. And Renee's is called uh, Unraveling Us. Unraveling uh, Us, yeah. Renee actually had um, a best-selling memoir called This House of the, the House of Lies. And right. then this is her follow-up to that because she got so many questions about what happened then. And it's it's actually um what happens when you write a tell-all memoir that sells really well? What happens to your family after that? So many things happen to her family after she writes that memoir, uh, which is really interesting because you don't often get to hear uh, what happens after something like that.
So you've mentioned what would grab you in a submission is, you know, a, a good story. Is uh, there anything else you look for, like uh, high quality writing or just like something different? Or what advice do you have to author- authors who do submit to you? Well, I'll go first because mine's different. So, yeah, so obviously excellent writing is obviously a bonus all round, let's face it. I also, well, we also look for an author who is quite willing to take the book past publication. So there's a lot, most authors think that they've done all the hard work in getting there, which is true, and then they've got, it's even harder to get it published, and we also understand that, and now the real work begins when we have to get you out there, especially an unknown author. I need to have a chat and we always have a pre-author call to make sure that uh, everybody is prepared for what might come in terms of getting out there and putting yourself into the public sphere, which we all know is not necessarily a natural a natural thing to do. I mean, mm. especially if you're over the age of, you know, a certain age, um, social media wasn't hasn't been in your life, taking photos of your everyday everything. It's not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind. So uh, yeah, we we like we're we're more than happy to guide you. We spend a lot of time working with you. I'm I provide all of the content that you might need, but eventually it comes down to you have to be an author who is willing to put yourself out there, stand behind your work and talk about it, you know, to people like you or to the radio or to TV or write about it if you need to. Go into bookstores, sign some copies, even if there's only two people, uh, it doesn't matter. Every tiny little bit counts. And, uh, And the notion that you can sit in your room, write a book, send it off, get it published, and that's all you need to do is long gone. Yep. (laughs) yeah that is and I have to add to that that is incredibly long gone even if you self-publish the amount of marketing that you'd have to do and by self-publishing I mean you 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 make it an ebook and you put it on Amazon unless you're just happy for it to sit there and people to find it uh, organically um, that doesn't happen unless you actually push people towards that book there are so many self-published books out there so that marketing is really important the story obviously has to be, it has to be something that you've got to go a lot by gut instinct. And if, if it holds our interest, then you can almost say with some, you can say with some certainty, it's going to hold other people's interest. Yep. And I've, I've found that when I have been editing, the best test for me is as I'm editing, I will stop editing and just keep reading without worrying about editing just to see what would happen, which is actually a good example of what happened with Renee's book, Unraveling Us, is that I, it got so to the point where I actually just had to stop and read it. I don't like doing that because you don't come to the manuscript as an editor with fresh eyes, but nevertheless, I couldn't help myself. I just yeah. had to keep reading wow. to find out what happened. <laughs> yeah, and so that was good, and th- so that's a good indication. But it's a yeah, it's it, it's too it's two pronged. It's got it's got to be the writing has got to be of such a standard that it can either be easily improved or it stands on its own. And two, the author has to be of a nature in which they're willing to view this work as a bit of a collaboration with us, and they're going to do their their part by getting out there and promoting it. And it's it's really unfortunate. I, I feel very sorry for authors that they have to do that because I myself would hate it, but it is unfortunately part and parcel of it. 
I think the more you do something as well, the more it gets easier, I suppose. And 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 by putting yourself out there, you might discover that you like something and uh, you're better at doing social media than maybe in person. But yeah, yeah, you might you might kind of enjoy it, especially if you're out yeah. there talking about your work. Yeah, I mean, we always we always guide the authors. Yeah, you know, I think that's great. We're not going to put you. We're not going to put you in a position which makes you incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, you know, that that's not our job. But um, yeah, we just need to know that you're as committed to getting the second half out there getting the book out there as we are uh, and that's really important to us yeah that was going to be my question as well whether the story was kind of grabbing you but the writing wasn't really hitting the mark like whether you would well we've done that we've had that (laughs) (laughs) we've had that Um, in saying that we also can tell whether this is the first draft that you've sent us or the second draft we should really only be saying the 10th draft or yeah. the 20th draft like quite seriously 1000th draft <laughs> yeah you, you need to get somebody else to read it first yep. yeah at least yeah. and I have to I, I, it's, it's been said before but well, I've heard other people say it, but it's true that the best manuscripts are the ones that have either the, the authors have gone or gone to the trouble of attending a writer's workshop or a series of workshops or they've had a freelance editor look at it first. They've had some sort of professional guidance. Mm-hmm. Those manuscripts really stand out. Yeah, yeah. And what about the other way around? Like the writing's kind of up there, but the story kind of hits the mark. Do you work with authors to, if you if you see a way that it could be made better, do you make hints and then tell yes. them to go away and make the things before submitting again? Yes. Before? Or it can be written. <laughs> Again. Yeah, yeah, there's another draft. <laughs> it, could yeah, be, it could have some extremely heavy editorial input. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. No, that's great. So what can what's quite off-putting for a manuscript? Do you do you notice the same mistakes being made quite often by um, authors? Yeah. Are you able to share? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it's, especially in our genre, like yeah. in memoir, so yeah. if it's too raw, if it's too close, you know, the author hasn't had enough distance from the event that they're writing about. Um, we always talk about writing from a scar and not an yeah. open wound because, yeah, um, because it's it's uncomfortable. It would make it exceedingly difficult to edit. Uh, it makes it exceedingly difficult to work with an author. I mean, you can just imagine how difficult it is to write about your family, for example, and then to then be asked about it in television, on the radio, if you haven't let that go, (laughs) uh, it would be not only excruciating for yourself but also for the audience because we can read the... We can read the emotion in that, you know. So for me that's uh, really important. (laughs) True. I would go back to something quite basic and is that you've got to pitch your manuscript to a publisher that actually publishes that sort of writing. So, for example, um, you know, we have on occasion received submissions of poetry, children's books, cookbooks, and you can just tell the person, the, the, the author, has not done the research as into which publisher might actually be suitable for my book. Yeah. That is really important. When somebody has um, written a letter, they've looked at your style, they, they think that your book might, um, that their book might suit your list because you've done something in the same way. They've actually gone out and looked at bookshops and seen, have seen what else is out there currently or what has done well in the past. 
they have a network of contacts that could possibly help in selling. Those things are really important. There's somebody who's gone to some effort to really present their work in the best possible way, following the submission guidelines that we set out on our website. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's what that that that's what would attract me to a manuscript. Would attract me to actually look at it properly. That we 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 make a big deal about we only publish authors who reside here in Australia. We do that for two reasons. One, we want to promote Australian writing, and two, it's incredibly difficult to try and promote an author when they're based in another country. We've we've done it. It's horrible. It doesn't work for us. And so, if someone submits to us from Poland or uh, the US or, um, you know, another country like that. It just, it just means they haven't looked at what we do. Yeah, and it's a bit of a scattergun approach. They're obviously taking a bit of a scattergun approach to trying to get their manuscript out there. The other thing we do is memoir. Memoir doesn't mean biography. Memoir doesn't necessarily mean I was born on such and such date and my mother came from this part of the country and my father came from that. You know what? No one's interested in that except (laughs) unless it's your family. So you've got to make sure that your story is something that you think would appeal to more than your mum or your dad or your five cousins. It's got Mm -hmm. to be something that has more, it's got to have general appeal. And there's got to be a reason why you're writing it. If you want to yeah, write it to yeah. famous, so, that's yeah. not going to work. <laughs> no, and yeah, just on that, like writing for revenge um, yeah. as well, it's not a, it, revenge manuscripts are quite prominent. He did this to me and I'm going to, you know, get back by expired. That's not really what that we do. That sounds quite either. juicy, actually. Uh, <laughs> revenge yeah, manuscripts. If it's written well, perhaps, but, um, yeah, there's a lot which is, uh, you know, basically I'm just going to tell you what an asshole this person was and that's not really what we do either. So, yeah, I think like with anything else. If if you publish one of these revenge things, you'd probably cop a couple of lawsuits maybe. (laughs) Possibly. Yeah, Yeah. like for for example, we had, if I can say this, I'll say it. Uh, we had, uh, you remember the book, uh, obviously you might have heard of this book, um, Elizabeth, um, oh gosh, now I can't even remember the title. Um, what is it, Sex, Lies, Food? What is it, that Elizabeth book? Elizabeth. Oh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes, Elizabeth Gilbert. Eat, pray, love. Eat, pray, love. God, I can't believe I've had a blank on that. (laughs) Eat, eat, pray, love. Anyway, well, we were contacted by the person that she ended up with at the end of that book, his ex-wife, wanting to write her side of the story. And there were so many legal issues with that. Uh, And I actually, actually, I don't think it would have been a promising manuscript from what I've seen because as it was, as Sonia has said, it was a revenge manuscript. And there was no real point to that other than than her just feeling very bitter and upset and all credit to her, she should have from what the manuscript was saying, but it wouldn't have made for nice reading for anybody else. No. Wouldn't have helped anybody else. Yeah. 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 And that's that's the purpose, isn't it? Oh goodness! I was just going to say, what is the best and the hardest thing part of being a, a publisher? But yeah, maybe it's maybe it's these <laughs> stories. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bit of both. We do get to um, to meet a lot of interesting people with very interesting stories. Uh, yeah, that I mean, that is really the highlight. If you're someone who loves books and loves stories, then 
getting a sneak peek into lots of people's lives is very interesting for me it's also like the collaborative nature of it uh when you're writing or you know coming from an arts background sometimes you're creating a lot in isolation and then to be able to come together and bring it to the light of day to introduce your baby to the world is a real collaborative process and and one that has its ups and downs but it's definitely worth it you always have a sense of pride at the end of it and and you know the author should and so should we at the end of because uh it's been a long hard slog to get there but yeah uh, for, and also for us as two women working together you know we believe in what we do and we believe in bringing a you know a sense of diversity in terms of you know you don't have to be a famous person to get your story out there and you shouldn't have to so we champion that and that's yeah, that's that. the things that I enjoy fantastic yeah. yeah yeah I think I'd have to agree with all of that the launches while they're very stressful are also good it's a bit like when you go to a wedding and you just feel like the, all the feel-good vibes at the wedding and then it's a bit like that at the launch when when you you forget all the hard work and the pain that's gone into it and you just see people celebrating a tangible object a legacy that they've created that that's really great and yes as Sonia said the collaborative effort when something comes to fruition from just an idea to something tangible is is really good yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, your your passion sh- shines through for what you do, so that's that's amazing. Uh, what are your thoughts on because this is the hybrid author podcast <laughs> on um, self publishing, and do you have any tips for authors who go down that route? No, I have nothing to say, uh, nothing bad to say about self publishing. There are many reasons why people choose to self publish. Publishing is a pretty closed shop here in Australia. You've got to, it's very um, categorised. When we sell our books in, we often have to say this book is very similar to this other book for them to get an idea of where they should put that book in the bookshop. The hardest book to sell is the book that doesn't fit any categories. It's got lots of things to talk about. It's a great book. It's got great writing, but it doesn't fit a particular category. That is really hard to sell to bookshops. And so... When people are rejected from the bigger publishing companies or any publishing companies, it may not necessarily be that the writing is is bad or the story is uninteresting. It may be that they just can't see a way to sell that book to anybody else. And so that's why some people tend to go to self go to self-publishing. And I as I, I think I just uh, what I said before is that I have no problem with self-publishing, but what people need to realize about self-publishing is you also have a second job. And that's to sell the book. So you've got to write it, produce it uh, in whatever way you can, and then you have to sell the book. All the hard. If you want to make money off it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's, um, it's also worth noting that, you know, the being a writer is also a career for people, uh, not just um, something that they whip together. You know, that you're talking... 10 years, 20 years, people, there's very few sort of overnight successes. Me and Manny were just talking about Mm -hmm. this the other day. So self-publishing is great, um, but you need to be prepared for the long haul and that even though it seems like social media will just, you know, lift you up on its wings and all of a sudden you'll have 200,000 followers, those 200,000 followers in our experience won't necessarily be readers and they won't necessarily buy your book. So um, I do think, yeah, to keep that in mind, 
Uh, we also talk about your definition of success. Is success for you getting a book finished? You know, is success for you getting a book published? Is success for you having one person read it? So I think that's really important to measure for yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just true. And just pointing that to what Sonia said, what we were discussing was that there's a an author out there now, well, it's had Jane Harper, who is sort of touted as the author overnight success three blockbuster sellers but you know what she's been writing before that for 20 years you know she was a journalist she had discipline she knew she knew her craft she knew how to put words together it's just that she'd gone off on a bit of a tangent was doing a different style of writing so it's very very rare for a first-time author to put something down that they haven't written before and it turns out to be a bestseller and takes off look it happens it has happened it's just not a common story. It's rare, yeah. I mean, even yeah, yeah. even Bryce Courtenay, he he spent years handing out bits of his, you know, samples of his books at train stations. You know, he really <laughs> did. Yeah. Matthew yeah. Riley wore out his the bottoms of his shoes um, selling his own books. He's somebody who's self-published originally his first book, and that was picked up by by Pan Macca after that. And he he's you know he's he's taken off there but it's hard like I guess the 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 big takeaway from book publishing that we've learned and there's no way around it it's a hard business it's a hard business the profit margins are small people are fickle (laughs) in their taste readers are fickle in their taste it's a gamble I mean I would have um, people talk about my sport dressage you know you might as well just go out the back and dig a hole and put all your money in it cover it up again that's you know that's, sometimes with publishing it does feel like that you know yeah. you put a lot of effort into a project and you you do your best and for whatever reason it doesn't take off it's a gamble yeah but when it does as you've spoke about before it's a it's incredible it is incredible <laughs> yeah. it really it really is it really is and we probably should we probably should celebrate those small wins a little more than we do yeah um but we don't we've got our hands to do <laughs> yeah that's it (laughs) well thank you so much Sonia and Sam for sharing your amazing publishing expertise and uh, your time with us today and the Bad Apple Press story Uh, where can our listeners find your authors and your books online and in store Uh, you can find us at badapplepress.com.au and where books are available there or all around Australia in bookstores and if you've got a book that you want to buy and it's not in your bookstore, just go and ask your local bookseller because they're more than happy to order them in as well. So if you can't find it from us or you'd rather support your local independent and we completely understand that, then please just ask them and they can get in touch with us or they'll get in touch with our distributor. Also, please note that though, if you do buy a book from us, you are guaranteeing the authors a higher royalty. We pay 25% royalty straight from our website sales. So yeah, you don't have to feel guilty about that. So you're, you're actively supporting independent Australian publishing and for that as me and Manny say we do a little happy dance and pop the books away for you and it's all fantastic you get a lovely (laughs) little bag you get a lovely little bag book bag and a parcel sent to you uh, with the knowledge that you have furthered an author's career and also helped them a lot so we we love everybody who buys our books (laughs) I love that that's fantastic it was lovely touch as well that's great well thank you again ladies that was fantastic Thank you. No Thank you. Thanks for having us.
So there you have it folks, the amazing team from Bad Apple Press, lots of amazing publishing tips and information there from them and obviously head on over to their links to check them out. So next week, episode number 21, is an interview with Lorraine Horsley. She writes stories for children and adults along with non-fiction. So we talk about her non-fiction publishing journey and many more things. So have a great week and it's bye for now. That's the end for now, authors. I hope you are further forward in your author adventure after listening and I hope you'll listen next time. Remember to head on over to the Hybrid Author website at www.hybridauthor.com.au to get your free author pass. It's bye for now.